Today we get to walk through a really cool story. Uh, it's the cleansing of the temple in John. And um, it's, you know, it's all about how Jesus changes things. Last week, if you were here, uh, Pastor Gary did a really great sermon about how uh, Jesus changed water into wine and how it's just what he does. He changes things. He transforms things. And so it makes sense that the next story is all about Jesus uh, changing things in the temple. But not everybody likes change, and sometimes change brings conflict. I don't know if you've ever found that to be true in your life, that not everybody is excited about things like change and, and, and new ways of thinking about things. Uh, but it's what we find in our story today. Now, I'm not sure how you picture Jesus in your heads. Like when you're, you lay down on the pillow at night, you know, I was like, <laughs> so I, I imaged, searched Jesus uh, this week, because uh, I was really curious, like, what does the internet say Jesus looks like? And I found, like, all those old, I know, uh, I found all those old paintings and, like, you know, pictures of Jesus, and he's, like, got these nice blue eyes, and he always kind of has this, like, dreamy look. Sometimes his hair is a little windblown. He's often found, you know, sitting with children on his lap, or, uh, you know, and I was just thinking about different ways I've seen pictures of Jesus and things like that over the years. I was remembering a church I used to go to a long time ago, and there was this picture. It was like an oil painting or something, and Jesus was sitting there, and he had like this big shepherd's staff, and there were uh, all these like little lambs and sheep around him, and he was holding them like this, and this big smile on. I like to think about it that way, you know? It's nice. But it is not the Jesus we find today. Today's Jesus is the one I bet you would not picture. In this one, he's holding a whip that he's made. Uh, he's knocking over things in the temple. Uh, and uh, that is the story we get to read about today. And you know what I love about the story? This is a great story because it shows his passion and it shows his zealousness for God's house and ultimately for, for you and me today. Uh, he loves us, and it is a passionate love uh, which the Lord loves us with. And today, that is what it's all about. Uh, if you want, follow along with me. I'm just going to read the story, uh, just in case you haven't been thinking about the cleansing of the temple lately or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start in, in verse 12, and it's going to be up here if you want to follow along. Uh, and I'm in chapter 2. It says this, After this, he went down to Capernaum uh, with his mother, and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. So making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. <laughs> And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name 
when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right, so that, there, there we are today, kicking over stuff, making a whip. I thought about like having a whip up here for a prop just to get some attention, but I figured this story had enough attention in it, and I don't know how to make a whip. So there was that. Um, you know, John reminds us that, uh, that the word became flesh, and his dwelling was among us. We've seen his glory. That's what John says. He was the real temple. He was the real dwelling of God. And so you have to see the irony that, that Jesus is in the temple, the house of God, but he is the real temple. He's the real dwelling of God. He has the authority over that place. He's the one unique son of God. And he goes into the temple today and he does not like what he sees. And so he cleanses it. And it begs several questions about what he sees in the temple today and how zealous he is for the temple today. And what I wanna do uh, is I wanna just read back through this story just kind of verse by verse today, uh, because this story has a lot of layers to it. Uh, and I have found in the last few weeks, this story uh, has a lot about us in it, and it has a lot about who Jesus is in it too. And I think in this story that Jesus, as the real tabernacle, the real dwelling of God, the real presence of God in the world, standing there in the temple, will observe a few things. Uh, like, like, as the true temple, as the, the dwelling of God, he knew the true problem. You and I might have been confused when we walked into the courts of that temple that day. There's a lot going on, and there's the masses doing whatever, you know, they're, they're doing. But, but Jesus knows right from wrong. We find that the, the true temple, the, the true dwelling of God, knew the solution. And much more than he knew the solution, he was the solution. And, and that becomes something we'll talk about quite a bit today. And the last is this, as the true temple, the true dwelling, the true tabernacle of God, he knew and knows today the true heart of every person. And that's you and that's me. We can't hide from him. We can't hide anything. Uh, we can't fool him. Uh, he sees us completely as we are. And so it's kind of with this attitude that um, I want to dive into the story. Let's pray real quick, and then uh, we're just going to dive into Jesus and the cleansing of the temple. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your, your love. We thank you uh, for your passion, for your gift to us, Lord. And this morning, I just pray that you would guard us from hard-heartedness. Lord, that you would uh, just open the eyes of our hearts this morning. Lord, that we would not just see you, but that we would believe in you, Lord, and that we would want to follow you wherever it is you're leading us this week. Uh, Father, we pray that what goes on here in the next uh, moments in our hearts would be glorifying to you. And I just pray that you would speak to each one of us in a powerful way that only you can do, Lord. And just use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. There he was in the temple, and he walks in, and he doesn't like what he sees, because there is a problem. And the problem is, is that there are things in the temple that should not be in the temple. I don't know if you've ever known this to be true, but sometimes there are layers to problems. Like there is a problem, but it's just systemic of a much deeper problem. 
Uh, like, for instance, a lot of you guys know, you know, uh, the big thing in my life this year has been our house. Uh, we've been fixing uh, our house. There's been a crew there. We've done a lot of things. And, uh, and I was just thinking about, because uh, we're getting kind of close to the, the end, and, uh, you know, it's like we have cold water but not hot water yet. It's like we're getting so close. And, uh, and I was just thinking about how all this started. I was thinking about six years ago when we moved in, and uh, there's this day where our basement flooded, and uh, it was the first time I had ever seen, uh, ever had that much water in my house before. It's the first time for a lot of things. It was the first time I ever bucketed water out of my house. It was the first time I ever found out you could chop back water. That became an important thing to me for years to come. Uh, I, it was the first time I ever called a plumber. It was the first time uh, I ever said things like snake a drain or other adult things as such. Uh, it was the first time for so many things. And, uh, you know, and I remember at the end of the day, you know, the issue was that there were roots that had gotten to our, uh, you know, pipe out. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll never forget, you know, we had called this plumber and he's like, I have good news and bad news. The good news is uh, we snaked the drain because that's the thing that you do uh, when you get the roots out and other things. And uh, he's like, you're fine. You can flush the toilets, and you can run the water in your sink, and uh, you're going to be fine <clears throat> for a while, right? And I was like, well, that's good, right? He's like, but there's bad news. And the bad news is, as I checked our log, it looks like our company has been to this address in this house frequently for the last 15 years, right? So uh, I don't know if you've ever bought a house before, uh, but that is not what you, <laughs> you want to hear, you know? And so I realized there was a much more significant problem, and come to find out we were going to have to, well, there was actually a lot of problems. And that, you know, that's kind of what Jesus finds in the courts of the temple today. There's a problem. There's things in there that shouldn't be in there, but it's, it's systemic of much deeper problems. And, and so we kind of find the, sort of the context of our problem in the first couple verses. And it says that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers, and they're all sitting there. And Jesus walks in, and he doesn't like what he sees. So, uh, so this was Passover, and, and this was a time when uh, the exodus was celebrated, how God had freed his people from Egyptian oppression and slavery. And, you know, the other nations knew about this story, and they were, uh, they were fearful of this God who was living and powerful, and he dwelled with his people. It was something that people still were celebrating, and, and people would travel all over to go to Jerusalem, sometimes journeying many days just to get there. And they, they would uh, bring money so that they could go and they could offer sacrifice and they could, uh, they could celebrate with their communities and their families. People from all over the world would go there. It was a big deal for the temple and it was a big deal for Jerusalem. And so Jesus goes up and, and actually every male over 12 was supposed to go to the temple three times a year to do this. And so, uh, so Jesus is going and it's normal that he's going. But what's strange is when he gets to the temple, what he finds. And he does not find a reverent house of worship. He does not find people praying. He does not find people experiencing the Lord. What he finds is a mall. 
That's what he finds in the courts of the temple. And, and it's interesting because, uh, so, so scholars kind of suspect like there's bad things happening. Like they're ripping people off. Like the money changers aren't, uh, because you couldn't use Roman currency because it had like pagan symbols on it and stuff. So they would give you the right currency, but they would charge you sort of a, a high amount for this or that there was some sort of scam going on with the sacrificial system. And that's more addressed in the second cleansing. But in this first one, Jesus just seems upset that they're there in the first place. Uh, and, and there was a couple problems with this. Uh, one of the problems was uh, the fact that they were there and, and they were not worshiping uh, and they, were, they were, had no reverence for the Lord. And, uh, you know, I was, I was reading about this this week and, you know, it's suspected that they were doing this for a long time, but it used to be away from the temple. And so you could go and you could kind of take care of business. But then when you went to the temple, it was different. And for convenience sake, they had moved this into the courts of the temple. And that was a big deal because that's where, uh, like those outer courts where the Gentiles could go. That's where the women could go. I mean, this was a house of prayer for the nations. And this was a place that people could come to learn about a living, active God and experience him there. But they couldn't because somebody set up mall in the church. It would be like you coming in here today, right? Because I'm sure some of you have had some long weeks. I'm sure some of you are going through some things in your life today because it's life. Uh, And I'm sure some of you came through these doors today and you're like, I just, I need to sing. And I need to be with other believers. And I need to have conversations that aren't about work for a little bit. And I need to be in the presence of the Lord with other people. And I need to be around the word of God. But like when you walk in the doors, Uh, there's somebody standing over in the corner and come to find out it's like Pastor Ken. And he's like, hey, come over here. Uh, He opens his jacket and he's got like sunglasses here because it's so bright on the stage. And then you come over here and Pastor Matthias is like, hey, uh, I've been learning how to smoke meats and I think you guys might get hungry for some of this. And uh, so just if you need a snack while you're here, here's a a, a sample of some teriyaki and uh, it's a lot, but it's gonna be worth it. And then Gary like comes out from around that column over there and he opens his jackets and he's like, who needs an iPhone charger? right? Because you're going to need that here when you're here, right? And it's just like, well, and why wouldn't we do that? Because that's not what we do here. And imagine if we took out like, like all of these rows, like the first five rows, and we're like, yeah, it's important that what we're doing, but go ahead and scoot back because it turns out we're pretty good at making money and Gateway is getting some of that. And so that's what we're going to have going on here. Uh, Just listen really good for the sermon. Maybe you'll hear something at some point. And that's what Jesus finds. And so the first problem is that they're, they're doing mall instead of church. And the second problem is beneath that, uh, and, and it's that they're hindering other people from worshiping too, right? You think about all those people who would have traveled and all of those people who just needed the presence of the Lord and they just needed to be around God's people. They needed to hear about Yahweh and they couldn't. They couldn't because they were making money selling animals, doing all sorts of sketchy stuff. And so, uh, so, so this is why Jesus says, take these things uh, I'm sorry, let's get to the next part. Uh, so, uh, so Jesus responds, and he goes into the temple, and making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, and with the sheep and the oxen, he poured out the coins of the money changers. That's my favorite part in this whole story, is that he poured out the coins of the money changers. Like, I want to know. I've been thinking about this for the last two weeks. What did that look like? Like, did he make eye contact with the money changers? And was he just like, hmm? You know, like, what, like, if he did that today, would he be wearing cowboy boots? I have so many questions about, like, how he did this because uh, it's kind of cool. So he, he poured out the coins of the money changers. Just picture this. 
He overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And it was good that he did this. It was appropriate that he did this because Jesus cares about worship. And Jesus comes to the temple, to the people of God, and he finds uh, uh, that the, the leaders of the day had, they were distracted, they were sidetracked, and they were doing something completely other than worshiping a living God. And I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, you know, I was mentored by worship leaders early on in my life that taught me a really valuable lesson. And it was that, you know, no matter how big your band is or how big the song set is or, you know, whether you're leading for a a small church of like 30 people or a big church with lots of people, you're always worshiping for an audience of one. Right? And that's been a really important thing for me to understand over the years. It's, it's quite frankly the only reason I don't like throw up on stage every weekend. is because I remember that what I'm doing is just for the Lord. Right? And it's in that, that, that I want to I help you worship and I want to worship with you and, and, and I want to do this together. But it's, 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 it's for the Lord. There's an audience um, of, of one and, and that the Lord, he, he loves worship. He's jealous for worship. In fact, uh, that's what it goes on to say. And his disciples, they're standing there and they're watching this and they remember something. And, and I don't know, I don't know. Some people say that they're remembering this and that's, this is what they're thinking about as Jesus is like putting on this whole thing, which I, I don't think you could remember it because it's like, I would just be pretty captivated uh, in the show. But uh, some people suspect it was like later on after the resurrection and that their eyes had been opened um, about everything and that they're looking back and they're remembering this. But they remember a verse, zeal for your house will consume me. And this is a really cool verse. This, this is a verse, uh, this is from Psalm 69, and it is a chapter worth studying this week on your own time. It is worth it. It is worth just looking into it. Uh, it's not that long of a psalm, but it's loaded. And it's got so many great things in it. And I just want to plot a few reasons this is such a cool psalm that they remember and that they pull into this passage. And the first is because zealousness is jealousness. That's what it means. Jesus is, he's upset and zeal for the house of the Lord consumed. Uh, God hates sharing worship with other things. In the Old Testament, he says he's a jealous God. The first two commandments are all about not worshiping other stuff. And I know sometimes we read these stories and we're like, yeah, 2,000 years ago, they were, they were real dum-dums or something like that, you know? But the truth is we get distracted all the time. Our, our worship gets cheapened in so many ways. And the Bible highlights those ways. You know, for one, there's idolatry. That's what was happening here. They were making money and they had found a system and there was this whole religious thing that was going on. But, but it wasn't about true worship. It was about everything else. It was about the temple and the nation and, and everything else. Uh, but, and, and that happens today. Uh, you know, you think about uh, Mount Sinai and, and when they're worshiping the golden calf and, and, and you, you see that God gets upset about this. There's anger and wrath about these things. 
Uh, I think about how Joshua says to put away the gods that your father served and serve the Lord. The Lord is jealous. He's zealous for the temple. He's zealous for his people and he loves worship and he hates half-hearted worship. He hates when we're distracted with other things. He, he hates when our minds are going to other things instead of him and we're more consumed with our circumstances or we're, we're more into our stuff or our money or our relationships and we forget him. And the reason is because there's no life in those things. Those things, they only hurt us when we worship them. There's, there's only life that's found in one place and that's in the Lord. And he's worthy of that glory. He's worthy of that worship. There's hypocrisy. That's another thing in the Old Testament frequently pointed out, and it deludes worship. It ruins worship. There's this uh, chapter in Amos chapter 5. And in it, the the Lord through Amos is talking about how he doesn't like the songs of the people. They come and they sing these songs. And it's like in in this chapter, the Lord's basically plugging his ears. And he's like, I don't hear it. I don't want to hear it. Your songs are gross to me. And he goes on to say, you know, let justice roll down. You know, be just in your lives. Love your neighbor. Listen to the things that I say when you come and worship. Don't just worship on Sunday and live a completely different life on Tuesday. You know, uh, so hypocrisy. There's self-serving worship. That's another great way to just like delude your heart is, is to worship for yourself. You know, whether you're leading a ministry or you're serving in a ministry or you're playing an instrument or whatever it is uh, you're doing, Scripture is clear that when you do that for yourself or when you do that for other people, that's your reward. And let me tell you, man, people can be pretty judgmental about stuff, you know. And so if that's your reward, you're not going to find much in the first place. But the Lord loves our worship. In the Bible, he says, when you seek me and find me, uh, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Scripture talks about a broken and a contrite heart. God doesn't despise that. The Lord loves when we come to him out of our reverence and our need and our respect, and we give glory where, where glory is due to him. And, and, and that's, uh, that's where we experience power. He's worthy of that worship, and he's worthy of that glory. And, and everyone else is just, it's just dry wells. It's just, a, it's a waste of life and it's a waste of time. And so, uh, you know, another thing we see in the Bible is that worship, it's not just a church service. It's every area of our lives. It's in all things. Uh, and so, uh, and, and so uh, what we see is that Jesus is zealous about the temple. He is zealous about worship. God cares about what we do. He cares about our lives. He cares about our hearts. He cares about our relationships. Uh, He watches, he observes, he knows, and he is zealous for those things. Another reason this psalm is so cool uh, is because sometimes uh, there are kind of myths about what happens when we get really excited about the Lord and we are zealous for the Lord. And, and, uh, you know, uh, our passions are becoming more and more about his word and him. And like there's like a big myth, like the rest of our life just like kind of falls into place. And everything works out and everything gets really easy. But that, in fact, is not true. Uh, I mean, it can be. It just isn't always that way. In fact, zeal for your house will consume me is written. Uh, it's, it's a Davidic psalm uh, written by David. And, uh, you know, if, if you read that psalm, his voice is tired from crying out to the Lord. The, the waters have surrounded him. Frequently in David's life, he is surrounded by enemies. Sometimes it's nations. Other times it's people that are close to him, his own family. And he goes, he, he has enemies. Why? 
Why do we have enemies? Well, darkness hates the light. You know, in, in the Bible, sometimes we see that when we're zealous for the Lord, sometimes when we're, we're accomplishing his will for our lives, that there, there are enemies that come up. And, and the, this house, it will consume. It will destroy. And, and so in Scripture, what you find is David cries out to the Lord. David has to constantly depend on the Lord for strength. He constantly draws to Scripture for strength. And so Jesus here, uh, you know, zeal for his house is consuming. And what you find out is that, uh, is that Jesus uh, uh, it makes enemies, and, and people are out to get him. And I think uh, that's good for us to remember. Uh, really quick, I do want to read this because uh, we were talking about how Jesus is zealous for worship. And, uh, and this is a really great verse in Ephesians, and it reminds us that uh, today the temple isn't in Jerusalem. The temple's here. Here, like in this room, us today. And if Gateway burns down and we went to the parking lot, that's where the temple would be. Because the temple is where God's people is. Because uh, I skipped over this part and it's important, so I'm going back. But uh, let's just read this together real quick. It's Ephesians 2. It says, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together uh, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so you and I today, we are the temple of God. He is zealous for worship today. Uh, and, and what we find is uh, a lot like David and a lot like Jesus, sometimes in the world, sometimes in our lives, zealousness for the Lord leads to conflict. It leads to trials. And um, uh, but we never have to worry about those things because Jesus knows those problems. He knows those trials. He knows, uh, he knows those things. And he doesn't just know the surface stuff going on in our lives. He knows all of it. Like, you think about my house, and right, he knew that there was a flooding problem in my basement. He also knew we needed to replace our entire plumbing, all of it, you know. And, and he walked us through that. And, you know, I think about... Um, you know, in the temple that day, he cleanses the temple. He knows there's a problem that day. But he is the true temple. Uh, he is the solution. It's, it's the, the solution is that they need a new heart. They need a new mind. Uh, and so he knows our problems, uh, all of them, and uh, he's our solution. In fact, uh, it's almost like that's on my, my brain for some reason, that he's our solution. Uh, and Jesus... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited. Uh, yeah, so things get in the way. He deals with our problems. Uh, and the other great part about that, we'll come back to this a little bit, um, is that when there are problems in our life and there's problems in our ministries and there's problems in our relationships, he helps work those things out in a practical way. Sometimes he takes things out that shouldn't be there because uh, he knows the true solution. So as we kind of read on, uh, the conflict uh, kind of uh, intensifies. It says, so uh, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Um, and so this is interesting because... Uh, because notice what they don't say. They don't say, Jesus, you're out of control. They don't ask him why he's so angry. Uh, and, and I think this is for a few reasons. Uh, you know, for one thing, 
I think they might have an idea that what's going on in the temple isn't right. Uh, you know that uh, people are being taken advantage of. There isn't reverent worship here. Um, and, and nobody kind of wants to say anything. It reminds me of this time when I was in college and uh, I was a freshman. I was like 18. And like the whole hall, you know, it was one of the people on staff at the school. I don't remember who it was, but we basically all had this powwow. And it was about how uh, it was a Christian campus and we were supposed to be believers, but uh, just the things that were being talked about uh, were not, uh, it was like, it just wasn't, there was just coarse joking and there's just, uh, we weren't really carrying ourselves well. And uh, I mean, kind of all of us, like this whole hall of guys got called out on this and nobody said a word. Nobody said a word until after that person left, right? And then they're like, well, that seemed a little harsh and seems judgmental, right? And a lot of people, you know, didn't respond to that at all. And I don't know if I did that day either, but I'll tell you what, that little bit of truth, it planted itself right in my heart, <laughs> you know? And, and that thing about um, being a believer, and we're supposed to look different than the world, and we're supposed to talk different than the world, that really hung in there. You know, it's interesting, Jesus answers and he says, destroy the temple and in three days uh, I'll raise it up. And, you know, for us, we look back at that and, and we have an idea what he means because the cross is pretty central to the Bible. But in, in that day, they might have been really confused about that. Like, like this week, uh, I, I told John Mark because he was asking about our family and like mom and how like, you know, Anna isn't my sister and stuff like that, you know, and he's like getting all this stuff. And I was like, buddy, like one day, you know, you're going to have a wife and, and you guys might have kids and, and you're going to have a whole different family and you're really going to like it. And so he starts crying and he's like bawling. And I was like, oh, it's not that bad, buddy. It's going to be good. You'll, you'll like it. It's like, you know, and, and he's like, dad, I just want to be in your family, right? He just didn't have, he just didn't have the, you know, the, the circumspect to, to sort of see what I meant. And I think that's kind of, there's some confusion about this. And notice that Jesus says this. And it is true that they are going to destroy the temple. It is going to be raised in three days. And there are two very different reactions. Uh, the Pharisees uh, and the temple leaders and the, the Jews, they said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to raise this in three days. And they mean shame by this. I think they are taunting him and making fun of him. Maybe he sounded real crazy to them. And, and that's their response. That Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't be believed. And instead of putting any faith in him or wondering about what he's actually saying or searching these things out or having an open heart about this, they just shut it down. What do you mean? That doesn't make sense, right? And actually, as you, you trace it out, his, uh, you know, uh, the relationship he has with the religious leaders, it only gets worse. And what's interesting is Jesus, we'll read in just a minute, he's doing signs and miracles regularly around this event. And, uh, but it, it was never uh, enough uh, for them. And, and so uh, as this intensifies, there's this really famous story we'll talk about probably like, you know, in three years or whenever we get there. But he raises Lazarus from the dead, and it really intensifies his argument with the religious leaders. Uh, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, a lot of people are believing, and a lot of people are coming to him and they want to slow this down and they want to stop it. Check this out. It has to do with our story today. Uh, so they have this meeting and it says, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin and they said, uh, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is a man performing many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. 
See, they see what he's doing. They, they see that he's a threat to what they have going. They have a sweet little thing going, and they don't want it to change. They don't, they don't believe him, and, and they want to slow this down however they can. And, so, and it's just interesting to me that he says this, and instead of, um, it's like they just don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear or the hearts to hear what he's saying. But uh, then there's the disciples, and they're hearing the same thing that the religious leaders are hearing, and they have a different reaction, but it's not until later. Check this out. So it says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. It's interesting to me that the disciples hear uh, the same things, and that, you know, I wonder what they're thinking in the moment, but, but later, as they've placed their belief in Jesus and as they're following him, it all makes sense later. You know, and their eyes are opened and, you know, he's raised from the dead and so other things have happened. And, uh, you know, but sometimes it just reminds me that we go through circumstances and situations that don't make sense. And we need to, we need to have some faith and hang in there a little bit. And sometimes I think we need to wait for, for Jesus to kind of reveal things to us too. A lot of people like my age have questions about the Bible. They have questions about their faith. And, and I see people all the time. It's like they kind of have this knee-jerk reaction. They have like one doubt or something. And they can just shut down, you know. And, uh, you know, like there's this whole like deconstruction movement. And that's kind of old news now. Uh, but sometimes I think we just need to have some faith. And, and let Jesus take time and, and, and move us through these trials in, in time. And, and so you see with the disciples, they believe. And of course, Jesus has called them and, and he's getting them through this. But in time, they look back and uh, they see that Jesus is the true solution. The, the, the true problem behind all of this whole mall business is the fact that they needed a new heart. Uh, the, the, the religious leaders of the day um, should have seen uh, the Messiah coming, you might think, but, but they didn't. Uh, they just needed a new mind. And with the death and the resurrection of Christ, um, and as we place our belief in him, we have those new minds today. We have that new heart today. And you know, uh, like, oh gosh, I was reading in Hebrews this week about how the whole Old Testament system, it points forward to Jesus. It points forward to this solution, this, this problem with idolatry and this problem with being so distracted in our lives and our worship. It's like, uh, and, and so, so in Christ, we find that we're part of a living temple. And we find that the, the Spirit is, is within us and he guides us in all truth. Jesus didn't just have the solution that day. He was the solution. And he is the solution for you and I. And sometimes we're going through trials and we're going through doubts and we're going through things in our lives. And sometimes we want Jesus to work things out a particular way uh, when really he himself is the solution. And as we keep our eyes on him and as we place our faith in him and we just trust him, and like uh, David in the, the Bible, we, our voices go hoarse because we're just waiting on the Lord. Um, I think uh, that's, that's, where we find, that's where we find that we start to grow and we start to know him uh, more and more. Uh, man, I was reminded of that verse that said, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Uh, and so he's the, he's the solution to our problems today but not just has the solution, is the solution. All right, one last thing, and it's that Jesus, as the true temple, the true tabernacle, the true dwelling of God, 
He knew the heart of everybody there that day. Uh, and as people were following him and he's doing all these miracles, he knows the heart. And, and I think that's really important for us to remember as, as we come together as the temple and we worship, that we can't fool him, uh, you know, in that he knows everything about our hearts. And, uh, and we just, we, we can't hide from him. Here's how the story kind of finishes out. Uh, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. And that is Jesus. He knows us completely. He doesn't need a witness to, to tell him what's really going on with us. He doesn't have to take a long time to decide. He just knows us. And that's something, for some of you, that might be like, I don't know if I like that. You know, there's parts of my life that I would rather keep private from the Lord, you know? And maybe there's some of us that that's a relief, right? Because you're in hard circumstances. Things are going on, but God knows your heart. And he knows who you are. And he knows who are his. And he's faithful. And he's going to lead you. And uh, so there's a few things, I think, just to pull out in, in these last couple verses. And it's this, that Jesus acted mightily. You see that Jesus was just doing thing after thing. And when Jesus acts when Jesus cleanses the temple, when he does this thing, he always makes things right. Have you noticed that about Jesus? That the things he does, he restores and he makes things right, even when it seems like he makes a mess. Even when it seems like it causes conflict, he's always making things right. And when he acts, it's in a mighty way. And people see what he does and they see the good things that he does and they instantly put their belief in him. But Jesus knows us, and he knows real belief from, uh, from not real belief. And you see here, there's kind of a play on words, because it's like uh, they were believing in Jesus, but he didn't believe in them. They're, they're, because their belief depended on their circumstances. Their, their belief depended on prove it. Prove it. Prove that you're real. Prove that you're powerful. Prove that you love me. And sometimes, I think if we're not careful, that can be us. God, I thought you were, you were going to work this out for me. I'm lonely, and I thought I was going to have a wife by now. Lord, we're in a tight spot again. When are we ever going to have breathing room? Are you listening at all? Are you there at all? Are you even real? And I think, uh, I think th th it's a good warning that, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are always putting themselves in boxes. They're always labeling themselves. And so we're quick to say what we believe and what we don't believe and what we think is right and what's wrong. But notice, it's not important what we believe about ourselves. It's important what Jesus believes about us. He's the judge of our belief. He's the judge of our faith. And we can't fool him. We can come together and we can fool each other. You can go to a grow group and fool your grow group. I don't know why you would. You'd kind of rip yourself off from grow group, right? You can, you can serve in ministry and in ministry team for years. And it's possible that you can fool people. Maybe even our own selves. But Jesus knows exactly what's going on in our hearts and our lives. And today, I believe with a whole heart that is good news for us. Because we don't know our hearts. Our hearts are confusing. We are confusing. We change. Uh, but Jesus knows us completely, and we can trust him. There is a psalm I found myself uh, kind of going back to this week. And it's a famous one. I'm sure you've read some of these verses before. And it just says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, 
and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Uh, man, how do we know our hearts? Well, we don't, but he does. And what I love about this psalm, we can just pull out a few things really quick. Number one is that there is full permission for God to search. Lord, will you look at every room in my heart? Will you look at everything in my life? There's no defense. There's no shutdown of it. There's no prove yourself to me first. There's just this, Lord, will you search my heart? And Lord, will you uh, and know my heart? And Lord, will you test me? I'm not going to test you. Test me. Know what's really there when we lay our, pe- our heads down on our pillows at night. What are those anxious thoughts? What are those things that we try to control and we try to worry about? Lord, will you know all of those thoughts? Mm. And, and then look, uh, see if there's any offensive way in me. You know, Paul says that each of us is a temple of the Spirit. There are things that can creep into our lives that shouldn't be there. Just like there are churches that get all corrupt and the leadership goes all down. There are no shortage of stories about that today. And it can be confusing it can be confusing for us, but it isn't for Jesus, right? And so uh, it's, I think it's good for us to pray this prayer. If there's any offensive way in me, Lord, if there's something in my heart that shouldn't be there, will you clean it out? Will you walk over to that jar and just dump it out? Will you just take it out completely, Lord? And, and you know what I love is he doesn't just do it once. Uh, he changes our hearts. And, and that's that last part there. Will you lead me in the way of the everlasting? He loves to instruct us in his ways. And today we are filled, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. He does that in our ministries. He does that in our families. He does that in our church. And he does that in our lives. And so uh, today as we think about Jesus cleaning the temple out, I think it's good news because we're his temple today and he's the authority today. He's the one that knows what's right and wrong. Let's be those people who give him full permission to clean house when he needs to. Let's be those people who strive for a clean heart knowing we can't do it ourselves. We need help. We need each other. <laughs> we, need, we need the word. Uh, and, and what we find is that, he, thank God, that he knows the true heart and he's zealous for you and he cares about worship. I feel like I could go on, but I won't, uh, <laughs> because I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, uh, we're going to be dismissed today. But uh, yeah, be those people this week who just uh, seek the Lord. I was thinking we're going to sing, but I'm going to dismiss you. <laughs> uh, uh, Lord, we just thank you for today. We just thank you for your word that is such a light in the darkness, and it's such a light to our paths. And Lord, maybe there are people here today who are in complicated situations, and it's hard to know right from wrong. And Lord, I just pray that you would show next steps. Lord, I pray for ministries represented in this room, and I pray for uh, households that are represented in this room. And Lord, will you just, uh, will you give us hearts for you? Will you give us hearts that want to worship only you, that audience of one. And Lord, in our lives this week, as, as we're around co-workers and family members, Lord, will you just clean out those relationships? Will you remove the things uh, that shouldn't be there in our lives, those idols and other things, Lord? And Lord, will you satisfy us in you? Will you lead us in the way of the everlasting? Lord, I, I believe that's the cry of our hearts today, Lord, that we would go out from here and we would walk with you and that we would walk upright with you, Lord, because you're helping us. 
You're renewing us day by day. And Lord, we are so thankful that you're a God who renews us day by day because you love us. In your name we pray, amen.